Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. And we continue with this mini-series on property horror stories, this time focusing on developers. There are on occasion deals to be done by buying new build or direct from the developer. For example, at certain points in the property cycle, we can potentially lock in some capital growth by buying off plan. Alternatively, buying at or after development completion can sometimes offer an opportunity to bag a discount from a developer anxious to get off site and onto the next project or to meet sales targets, for example. I have indeed capitalized on such opportunities from time to time, which worked out well. However, this is all about those times when things have not gone quite as well as you will hear with stories of my own and others here. Equally, we'll share a few words a little later from the TPV apprentices, the inaugural TPV apprentices. So stick around and and hear what they have to say about what they've learned just 13 days into the program. But before we do that, let's hear some of those developer horror stories up next then. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So I've titled this first little story, Off Plan, Overseas, Slick and Glitzy. All the ingredients for a bitter aftertaste. (laughs) So really the story goes, um, after having bought my very first three properties in quite quick succession, this was a few years ago now, The IFA that I was dealing with at the time mentioned to me that I could use my old pensions to invest in property. And he described a scheme where I could combine buying an off-plan overseas hotel room direct from the developer using funds from my pension as a deposit along with guaranteed developer finance for the remainder of the purchase price. Effectively, therefore, this was a no-cash-required purchase. And to sweeten things up further, there was a rental guarantee from the developer as well. So what could possibly go wrong with this then? Well, (laughs) almost everything as it turned out. (laughs) This developer has since gone into administration, leaving literally thousands of investors high and dry. Allegations of wrongdoing alerted the serious fraud office to investigate. IFAs or uh, independent financial advisors were sued or went out of business to avoid liability. Indeed, some SIP SIP, uh, operators also went under. And it was alleged that substantial fees were paid to IFAs and introducers, leading to many pensions being transferred when they should not have been. Client funds appeared to be used to acquire new plots and pay introducer commissions rather than complete the specific units that investors had reserved and paid money down against. Along with a range of other claims, scandals and dodgy practices, 
that were outlined in the press over several years. Just ping me if you want to know who it is and I'll give you a pointer. But I was one of the lucky ones, I suppose, because I managed to recover my pension fund when the pension advisor recommended to transfer the pension into the SIP to enable this structure to take place was eventually ordered to put me back into the same position as before in the investment. Um, and this was ordered by the financial ombudsman after several years of fighting. Needless to say, I did get the uh, judgment awarded in my favour, along with some other people. And uh, I was restored to the same position I was, I would have been before. Fortunately, my IFA, or rather, yeah, the IFA that I'd used was still around. And so their insurance, uh, along with their own, you know, um, I think you they have to pay the first part of a of a claim. Uh, they were able to do that, and they duly did. So I was, as I mentioned, one of the lucky ones. I, I am aware of the phase who just literally closed closed down and ran away from the whole problem and, and left people high and dry. So as I mentioned, many of us were not as fortunate as IFAs disappeared into insolvency to escape action. Some claims were out of bounds of the UK regulators. For example, if you weren't if you weren't UK resident. And cash buyers simply saw their money disappear, with no real prospect of recovery, given that the developers' net assets were nowhere near covered by the total client funds received. And indeed, my pension uh, fund with the SAS, which held this investment, has been valued at zero. So <laughs> it's still there. I'm just trying to close it down. Uh, it's got a zero value you know, nothing's going to happen with that uh, that fund. So that just puts it into some sort of perspective, I guess. However, when I researched the developer initially, all seemed fine. The company had a big office, which I visited and, and met with many of the staff there. There was a website and glossy brochures, which promised much. Celebrity endorsements abounded. Some parts of the development were working and even had very good reviews. Add to this the recommendation of the IFA and the so-called reputable SIP provider and all appeared in order. So I guess the main learning with hindsight from my point of view was that it did probably just all seem too good to be true. And I guess that for me is the greatest lesson of all. If it seems too good to be true, then it probably is. So that was one. I managed to get out relatively unscathed, I guess, in the long run, but it was pretty torturous uh, for quite a number of years, in fact. Uh, I met a number of the other uh, investors because I was part of the investment group or investment committee that was helping to try and work a way forward out of this. And some people were just not so lucky and there were some worse stories than mine, I can assure you. But uh, there we go. But anyway, moving on, uh, just thought I'd cover some other instances of developer horror stories. I know this is so negative, isn't it? This whole series, I promise you, at the end of the series, let's get back back to upbeat stories. But I really do think it's important that this comes out because if we understand what can go wrong, we can make provisions to avoid it happening to us. So that's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it with a positive intent so that we can you know, take steps to avoid these things happening to us in future. So please understand where I'm coming from. It's not because I'm a miserable bugger, honestly. Anyway, other stories. Um, I, I guess the above story that I just shared with you about this uh, um, overseas off-plan developer uh, captures many of the things that could go wrong with developers in itself. Oh, although by no means uh, do they always go wrong, and it has to be said. Uh, here are some of the experiences that I'm aware of with developers that have caught investors out from time to time. 
You might remember the fallout from the global financial crisis. Well, it did actually provide some opportunities for investors a number of years ago. And this sometimes produced a, uh, an opportunity for a 100% finance development purchase, which was a sales tactic that you might have seen not only in the UK, but in other places as well, such as Spain and Portugal, amongst others. And while some of these deals were genuine and offered great value with minimal entry costs, others were not quite as they seemed. For example, I was offered myself a new build development. That's what it was described as. But it was in fact completed 10 years prior and had been mothballed since. So yeah, okay, it wasn't lived in, but it certainly wasn't new <laughs> at 10 years old. Others had uh, very high fees built into the sales price and or paid into a separate third-party agent, which of course offsets some of the apparently low deposit financing, doesn't it? So obviously you used to buy to let, putting down a 25% deposit. Imagine getting in at say nil or 5% deposit or 10% deposit with some of these schemes, but then paying over substantial fees or having them built into the purchase price of the property so you couldn't see the fees and you kind of get the picture. And some agents uh, operate in agent-to-agent -agent chains as well. And of course, when you've got a chain, it opens up the possibility for fraud and fee loading along the way. Some developments do not have all the necessary paperwork, building regulations, legal or planning consents in place. You need to find out. And there's been a lot of disquiet about inflated ground rent review provisions and some leaseholders have witnessed sudden rises in service charges or conversely a lack of site maintenance at times as well. So this isn't all about far-flung places, this is also about the UK and there's been a lot of noise in the press about the leasehold, you know, leaseholder scams, uh, service companies who are just either inflating prices or not undertaking work uh, and of course a lack of paperwork or effective paperwork in place. Then you've got some of the low rate but high loan to value financing that's promised, which does not does not always materialise. In some cases, lawyers, fiscal representatives, finance brokers, letting agents, inspectors and valuers have, let's say, too cosy a relationship with some of the developers and other connected parties. And this can lead to uh, fee loading and in some cases questionable ethical practices inflated valuations or even risky legal purchases being offered. And then there are the rental guarantees and developer buybacks which you might see you know built into marketing plans and sales letters and in many cases they're not worth the paper they're written on quite frankly due to either their poor drafting uh, or full of holes or the weak financial strength of the guarantor that's behind them. I've seen some of these and you know I, I saw one for example it was a, a rental guarantee but it was basically a, a property management or letting management agreement that just been adapted uh, from a fairly new startup company so it just wasn't really worth um, it really wasn't worth the paper it was written on. But another neat trick is the pre-tenanted property at an inflated rent. You're thinking, wow, I've got this really high yield, but only to discover that the tenant disappears after six months, leaving you wondering how your yield suddenly disappeared as you put it on the open market and you can't get anything like what it was when it was sold to you as a pre-tenanted property. And I have, in, I have seen in some cases where developments were offered at a significant discount 
for cash buyers. Of course, they're trying to in, in, you know, encourage people to come to them as cash buyers. Why is that? And that's really uh, because they can't get finance on the scheme. Maybe it's an ex-local authority, you know, multi-story unit, and many of the lenders won't lend on that. Uh, maybe it's issues with the developer themselves, or indeed you know, other issues relating to the development. Finally, I've seen challenges in reselling certain types of de development, including, for example, student pods, care homes, hotel rooms, I obviously was involved in one myself, and fractional ownership schemes of various description. So it's not just timeshare, it's the new buzzword for timeshare is fractional ownership. So whenever you see that, um, always ask yourself, what is the secondary market for this investment? Can I resell it? Can I get my money out? Would it appear on right move? Would an investor be able to buy it? And that should uh, you know, answer those questions and you, know, you should be able to check that sort of side of it out. I guess what I'm saying is, in other words, there's plenty of scope for things to go wrong. And I guess my experience with this uh, off-plan developer that I shared with earlier, along with some of the other horror stories or sound bites or segments of horror stories that I've shared just now, by uh, which have come from other developers or uh, sorry, other investors close to me, um, has led me to shy away, uh, certainly from off-plan purchases at least. And in fact, you can hear more on my views on off-plan development in a previous podcast episode. It was recorded back in June 2016, um, and bluntly and not so imaginatively titled 10 Reasons Why I Don't Like um, sorry, Off-Plan Property Investment. And there's a link to that episode in the show notes if you wanted to look it up and have a listen, because it's kind of related to what we're talking about today. So you might want to have a listen in and uh, have a listen to some of the reasons why I don't like off-plan, but buried in there, trust me, is at least one reason why I do. So if nothing else and you want something a bit more positive, uh, have a listen to that and skip forward towards the end and you're going to hear uh, one good reason why I do sometimes uh, work with not necessarily off-plan, but new build development. Might be worth a listen then. So what are the lessons learned and what are the steps that we can take to help protect ourselves then? Well, the first one is a bit of a recurring theme. It's due diligence, isn't it? And I can't stress it enough, really. We need to make checks on all of the people and all of the companies that we're working with. Independently check for track record, reputation, connected companies, industry memberships, certification, consents, and so on. Equally, run your own numbers and check all values and rents yourself independently. Don't just take you know, the, whoever's giving you the information at face value. In other words, do your own checks. And when a full turnkey solution is presented that includes all that is required to purchase, finance, furnish and tenant a property, just double check to make sure all is above board with all of the parties involved. Uh, or find your own parties to you know, provide the, the services instead. And remember that when you hand over control to someone else, you are more open to it going in the direction of somebody else's choosing rather than your own. Secondly, the too-good-to-be-true test. Yep, <laughs> as I mentioned, that's the one I've learned. High returns, low deposit, all-inclusive, hands-free, guaranteed, exotic location, and great capital growth all on a plate. Really? <laughs> I believe in win-win outcomes. So if I'm presented with something that looks like only I get to win and to win big at that, then my suspicions are immediately raised. After all, why would somebody want to give away so much for so little? 
As an old colleague of mine used to say, always look for the personal motive in the other person's actions. So ask them what's in it for them and how they stand to gain if it's not immediately apparent. It might not be obvious or as transparent as it might first look, so ask. And third, new is not always better. There are some advantages in buying new, such as an expectation of lower maintenance, more up-to-date building methods, and so on. However, there is also the potential to pay what is known as the developer's premium. And as a developer myself, I try to realize this premium when I undertake any form of development. So I'm not against people making a profit, don't get me wrong. It's just that the older stock, or rather with older stock, it's easier to benchmark valuations as a buyer and as an investor. And then we can add, you know, a developer premium ourselves um, to compare with new build. So we can do the comparison, in other words, and say, well, I'm prepared to pay a bit more because I'm getting it new. I'm getting all the guarantees. I'm getting lower maintenance, etc. But also add in some of the potential risks that I've described here and also in the podcast episode, the previous podcast episode that I referenced you to as well. And then perhaps the scales might be tipped more in favour of older stock than new build at times. I certainly think it probably is. Uh, But there you go. That's just my personal opinion. But I do want to stress that not all developers are bad, risky or dodgy. Um, I just want to stress that so much. Uh, Indeed, I am one. So, you know, I'm not, you know, I know my own approach to things. So I'm not trying to hoodwink people or scam them or anything like that. So, and I'm sure there's lots and lots and lots of very good developers out there. I'm obviously painting the slightly darker picture of the other marketplace here today. So please understand that. I'm probably at the one to five percent of bad people rather than, you know, 95 percent or more of good developers out there. Okay, so that is uh, another horror story shared this week. I don't know how you're feeling during this more challenging mini-series, I wonder. But don't worry, I am a solution-minded and pragmatic uh, individual and generally very optimistic as well. It's just that there can be occasions when things or people cause things to go off the rails a little bit. And I just think it's right that you're aware of this. That's all. That's the purpose of sharing this mini-series. Okay. So I've got a a surprise really now um, as we're going to share the shout out for you. And now where you can go for more great resources with the shout out. Okay, so before we finish this week, I thought I would share a quick soundbite directly from the four apprentices that I selected to work with in the inaugural TPV apprenticeship program with you now. And you can hear from them uh, a quick summary in their own words, at just 13 days into the 100-day program right now. Well, we have just finished uh, the, uh, the Property Voice Apprenticeship kickoff call. Uh, five of us in total with four apprentices, and um, it's been a really good call. We shared an awful lot between us. And what I thought would be really useful is to share a little bit about some of the apprentices and what they're hoping to achieve over the next 100 days, which is quite a short period of time, uh, on the program. So uh, I've, I've bullied everyone to stick around at the end of the call and just share a, a short little piece about themselves and what they're hoping to achieve over the course of the next program. And it's just going to introduce each one to talk and just share a little bit now. So, Richard, would you like to talk a little bit about uh, the, the program from your perspective? And what you're hoping to achieve. Okay. 
No problem. So my name's Richard Parker. I'm 55. I'm from a little village, Nounsley, uh, which is near Chelmsford. Um, so my Sunday goal is really to, with my property business that I've I've been uh, running for 14 years as a kind of a side, um, is to really become chairman of the business at some point in the future to have enough properties so that I'm just involved for, um, you know, board meetings and things like that. And um, within the next 100 days is really to learn about strategies that I'm perhaps not currently using, but uh, but maybe I should be in terms of residential properties, but also um, to gain an insight into uh, commercial property. So my rough plan is to buy more residential property in 2019, but also invest or buy um, in commercial property with my pension using a, using a SAS. Um, for me, already uh, being part of this process, it's really been about uh, developing my network and through uh, my involvement with the group, you know, I've already been given some really good contacts. That's kind of, um, how can I say, it's kind of made me rethink uh, some of the things that I thought I was gonna get out of this, uh, this 100 days. Um, so I, I'm really convinced already that uh, it's benefited me and uh, I'm sure I'm going to get a lot more out of the uh, the remaining period that we're all together. Perfect. Thanks, Richard. Really appreciate that. I'm glad you got that, in, that insight from that connection. Um, moving along then. So we've got uh, Dominic up next. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Dominic. I'm 42. I live in Tombridge, Kent. Um, my overall Sunday goal is to be able to quit my day job and work in property full-time uh, for my own company as my own boss and have all the, the, the freedom of flexibility that brings. Um, I guess my 100-day goal is to have uh, some assistance and be able to source one or two properties. Um, my rough high-level plan is to invest in a mix of buy-to-lets, HMOs, and some refurbs over the coming year and, and beyond that. Um, ideally also sourcing some JV partners because um, obviously my, my cash pot will only go so far. Um, the thing that's been of most interest to me so far is uh, the advice uh, I've had to work out and plan my income goals. So what it means to me to be financially secure, uh, have financial independence and also financial freedom. Perfect. Thank you, Dominic. Really appreciate that. Moving swiftly on then, David. Yeah, hi. Uh, my name's David. I'm 24 and I'm based uh, near Leatherhead, just, just north of Leatherhead. Um, my Sunday goal is uh, to have a, a property business that will be able to support a foundational charity, essentially, that will uh, in turn support uh, aspiring athletes that uh, want to hit their own goals. Um, so that's my Sunday goal. The short-term goals and the, the, the 100-day program are really around um, building my network, understanding from Richard and the, the, the fellow apprentice, apprentices um, how to do that really. And to, because um, I'm, I'm quite young and just starting on that journey. So um, already I've, I've developed a bit of my network. I've really nailed down and, and, and got to the top of what my purpose and my, and my goals are. So it's really coming up with a plan uh, and a strategy to achieving that. So, uh, yeah, it's been great and looking forward to the next uh, couple of months. Fantastic, David. Really appreciate that. And uh, and bringing up the, the last in line, but by no means least, is Sean. 
Hi, um, my name is Sean. I'm 37 from uh, North Wales. I currently own two vanilla bytelets that uh, provide me with a decent return. Uh, my goal initially is to achieve another source of income by way of uh, providing investor services, looking mainly at deal sourcing and project management uh, to accelerate my path to my bigger goals. I think the thing, the main thing that I've taken from the, uh, the process so far is to really go deep into the numbers and actually work out the equivalent hourly rates of, uh, of some of the choices available. Uh, that's what I found most helpful so far. Perfect. Thanks, Sean. And, and thanks to all of you. Um, I think one obvious thing is um, well, the, there's going to be a, a lot of variety in terms of what we're going to cover over the next 100 days. It's a bit of a stretch for me because obviously there's quite a spectrum there of strategies and age groups and plans, etc. But um, I'm looking forward to it very much. We've already had a lot of fun. We've already made some progress in a very short period of time. So I'm very grateful for you for uh, for showing your commitment and joining in. Uh, along this journey as well, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a massive payoff. Uh, I, I get a great kick out of this myself, and it'll please me, you know, tremendously to see you all achieve your goals over the next hundred days and indeed beyond. Obviously, there's a lot of males in this group, so maybe for the next one, we'll have a few more of the ladies reaching out to us. Um, but you know, we we take what we have, we work hard, and we'll achieve the goals regardless of of the of background. So I just want to say thanks, guys, especially for sticking around at the end of the call. Uh, a little bit longer than we scheduled, but it's been really good and I'm looking forward to working with you all over the next 100 days. Thanks so much. Wasn't that great to hear? Four apprentices with different ages, goals, strategies and plans to aim at. And it's already been very re rewarding with many insights or breakthroughs that have been made. I'll try to give you a bit of a short update now and again so we can you know, monitor their progress uh, over the remainder of the 100-day program as well. So look out for that. Perhaps every month or so I'll, I'll just share a bit of an update and hopefully you'll get to hear a little bit of a fly on the wall into what's going on with the apprentices over this period of time. And if you'd be interested in taking part in a future TPV apprenticeship program, then just drop me a message, an email, or give me a quick call. Um, I'm 100% focused on helping the current apprentices right now, though. So the next program is likely to start in the spring of next year. But by all means, uh, get in, get in touch, uh, put your name on the wait list if this sounds at all appealing for, for you to get involved in. Okay, then. As ever, the show notes can be found over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net, or if you want to talk about anything from today's show, or just talk about property investing more generally, you know you can always email me, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, and I'd be more than happy to hear from you. But once again, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening again this week, and until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.